Good morning, everybody. My name's Tony, if you don't know me. Looks like we've got a pretty good crowd for a cold morning. Uh, when I was going through, I was watching that video, it kind of made me think of this little joke. It said, you know, when a man says he's going to fix something, he's going to do it. You don't have to remind him every six months. So, you know, I was thinking about these New Year's resolutions. I hope everybody, you know, you're deep into it. You're well on your way to, to meeting your goals and and so I wanted to really understand, I've really, never really understood exactly what that word meant, uh, resolution. So I do what I normally do. I looked it up in Webster's. And the, the definition of resolution is the act of making a firm decision. And, you know, when I first read that, I just automatically I started laughing. Because I was thinking about, you know, our New Year's resolutions. And I'm thinking about myself. I'm not judging anybody else. But I think about all those goals that I set on New Year's Eve. And how usually, you know, by February, most of them are forgotten about. And so to make a firm decision really doesn't seem all that appropriate for me sometimes. Maybe, maybe I'm, I was thinking about what really made me laugh is I was thinking about the gym, you know, the 24-7 over by Save-A-Lot. That place is rocking right now, right? That place is packed. Come February, it'll be a ghost town, though, right? <laughs> I mean, that's usually, that's just, that's just how it is. So, you know, firm decision, is that really what it is? And, you know, maybe we shouldn't call it a New Year's resolution. Maybe we should call it a January resolution. Uh, you know, by the, way, that's, by the way, that's the most healthiest month of the year, if you, haven't, if you don't know that statistic, but, but it is. And so I was thinking about that when I wanted to, t to share with you today, and I was thinking, what would it look like? And I'm being serious. I want you to think about this. What would it look like if we as a church, if we as individuals resolved if we, if we decided to make a firm decision to really realign our lives to match what we believe, to match this faith that we have, what would the church look like? What would our community look like? What would the world look like? So I want you to keep that in mind as we uh, begin our series today, as we begin this sermon. As, as uh, Matt said, this series is going to be called Resolutions. And so what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is packing, unpacking, you know, what it is that, that we do here, what we want to do here, what our goal is, what our mission, what our vision is here at the church. And we have a mission at Journey Church, and if you don't know what our mission statement is, you probably haven't been here in a while. Or maybe you've been sleeping through the, through the sermons, I don't know, but our mission, we say it all the time, it's to help move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. That answers the what. That answers what. What do we do here? We want to help move people on this simple journey toward Jesus. We also have a vision statement. And that, that vision statement answers the question, why? Why do we want to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus? And the reason why we want to do that is we want to glorify God. We want to love Jesus. And we want to make disciples. We want to love people, too. And we want to make disciples that make disciples. That's why. That's why we want to help people move on a simple journey toward Jesus. And, you know, you see the four chairs again. And the reason I love this, this analogy, this metaphor, is that it, it really breaks down that process, that vision, that mission and the vision. Our mission of moving people on a simple journey toward Jesus, this shows a linear path. It shows how we can move from one step to the next in our faith journey. It also breaks down in detail our vision. You know, when you... When you're in chair number one, you're a seeker. 
you're lost, you're spiritually dead. And there's a space between chair one and two because you, you have to come to the foot of the cross. And once you come to the foot of the cross and, and you know Jesus and you accept him as your savior, you move into chair two and you become a believer. And it's here that you fall in love with Jesus. It's here where we, we soak up everything we can. We're kind of selfish when we're here. But as we develop and as we mature as a believer, we're going to naturally have this feeling to care for other people. And we want to take action for that. And so we move to chair number three. And chair number three is, is the worker and the harvest. And, and it's here where we learn to love people. It, it's here where we share our faith. And it's here where we bring other people along. It's here where we start to bear fruit, as the Bible says. And then when we develop even further, when we become that friend of Jesus, we become a disciple maker. And this is where we start to learn to make disciples that make disciples. And so that is our vision. And this is just a, it's just a, a simple metaphor uh, to explain that. And so I love the four chairs. They're not going away. Um, I think about making a harness where I can carry them around with me everywhere I go. But we, so I've talked about our mission. I've talked about our vision. But we also have a strategy, and that answers the question, how? I hope you're writing that down. What, why, and how? And so how is, that, you know, we have several ways that we want to help people move on this journey and, and to love God, to, to love people and bring glory to them and make disciples that make disciples. For, one is we like to, to teach people how to serve. You know, we think that we want, you know, God was a servant. He didn't come as a conquering king. Jesus came as a servant to this earth. And so he exemplified that for us. And so when we as believers can serve other people, there's a chance that they be can become saved people. And so serving is very important. We also want to encourage and teach people how to share their faith, how to share the gospel. The Great Commission says that we're to preach the gospel and we're to teach his commands and teach people how to obey. And so we can't do that if we keep that to ourselves. So we encourage people to learn. We want to teach you how to share your faith. We also believe that people should grow. Because I think everything that I read in the Bible, I see movement. I see these, these 12 guys that, that moved along a path and they grew. They weren't the same people. You know, when, when Jesus started with them, three and a half years later, they were totally different. And then they went out and they changed the world. They grew. And so I think God wants us to grow. We also encourage people to give, to be generous with the gifts that God gives us. I mean, it's from him anyway. It's all his. He asked for a portion back. We, and we, we try to teach people don't give because you think you have to or that you're obligated. We want you to want to. And we also want people to engage in community. It's so important because we, we can't do this alone. You know, when I read the book of Acts and I, and I see chapter 2, verse 42, that, that depiction of Christian community is awesome. And so we want to duplicate that here at Journey Church. So we have a program called Journey Groups. Uh, they're groups of sm small groups of, of people that meet once a week. And if you're interested in, in joining a group, we'll talk about it later on in the series, I've got space in a group that I teach on Wednesday. And it's at 7 o'clock. Please see me if you'd like to join. There are other groups that, that we can join. There's a, a group that's trying to launch right now. And so please let me know after the service if you'd like to be involved. Iron sharpens iron. We're not intended to do this alone. You know, last week in Kyle's uh, sermon, Kyle Nation, that was kind of cool for me to see him preaching because, you know, I can remember him as a, 
as a high school student. You know, I can remember Kyle when he's about right here. He, he's kind of about right there now anyway. But, man, it is amazing. It's amazing to see, you know, where Kyle has, where he's been, where he's come. I got to watch him kind of grow up here in the church, and he's an awesome guy with an awesome soul. But he, he taught about three points last week that I think led into this so perfectly, and we didn't really coordinate it. It just kind of worked out that way. But he talked about these three points. He said that when we accept Jesus, we're justified. And that when we start to move along our journey, we go through the process of being sanctified. And then it's all going to culminate in at this point when we're all going to be glorified. Isn't that amazing to think about? That, that last one, we're going to be glorified. That's the end result. But folks, I don't think that we can get there if we don't bring glory to God along the way in everything that we do. And so today we're going to talk about bringing glory to God. That's the, uh, that's the first topic in this, uh, this, this rollout of this, this series, Resolutions. I wanted to tell you a story about me. I want you to know about what, some, what my passions are. You know, one thing that you'll know if you spend any time with me is that I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, and you, you're going to see me a lot during the week. I've got the star of Texas, you know, on me somewhere. I mean, I'm wearing it. I, I love the Cowboys. I, I loved them even before they were, you know, really great this year. Uh, I've, I've been a Cowboys fan since I was probably 10 years old. But it's a, it's a really good year to be a Cowboys fan if you've been following it all. You know, Raph and I have been, uh, have been sharing a lot because he, he, he's, he's uh, a big fan of a team that he thinks is pretty good. It's the Patriots. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot. They're in different divisions. And so we come on Monday morning, we've been happy. We come in, we talk about how great, you know, Dak did and, and all this stuff. And, and so, you know, it's been really fun. But they're kind of on a collision course for the Super Bowl. So I don't know how Monday is going to be after that. So uh, pray for us. But... But you know, I love the Cowboys, and I love talking them up. I love talking up how glorious they are this year. Two rookie phenoms that have, had a, that have brought them to where they are, a division championship and a first week bye, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really awesome. And, and I just really have been bringing glory to the Cowboys. You know, I, I don't miss any opportunity to kind of lift them up, you know, on a Monday morning or whatever. You know, I just don't miss that. I'm passionate about the Cowboys. And so I wanted to give you that as an example of, of, you know, something that we glorify on a daily basis. But, you know, when I did it, I convicted myself. When I did it, my heart kind of broke. Because I said, how is it that it's so easy for me to glorify a football team, but yet it seems like I find a hard time glorifying God on a daily basis. So it broke my heart when I thought about that example. So why is it important that we glorify God? Well, first, I think we have to answer the question, who is God? And I think if we want to find that answer, we can find that in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 13. This is when God is talking to Moses through the burning bush. And uh, Moses is asking this question of God. He says, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What do I tell them? And God replied and he answered, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent me to you. Now what's God saying when he says, I am who I am? If you really think about what God is saying is, I have no beginning. That before this world 
formed, before this universe even existed, I am who I am. I've always been God. Long before, for any, long before Moses even could, could even think about, he has been God. And so he's established that. And he's, he's leading in to answering the question, what is my name? And in verse 15, he does that. He says, God also says to Moses, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So God names himself specifically. And what he's saying here, before he said, I have no beginning. Now he's saying, I have no end. That long after this world is gone and this universe ceased to exist, I'm God. And so God created everything. And you know, when we, when we listen to that, we know that God is everywhere. And God knows everything. And so how can we not give him credit? How can we not glorify him just for that purpose? Because of who he is. He's the only one that deserves to be glorified. Jesus always was. Jesus always will be. How can we not give him glory? But I really want, I want to be honest with you. And I want to ask that you be honest with me. I really don't think that we glorify them on a daily basis. At least not all the time. I'm just being honest. You know, at least our lives really probably don't show it that much in some ways. And so I want to, I want to develop that with you today. You know, what, is it, what does Jesus say about glorifying the Father? You know, I've had this, this people, this, this has even been taught to me, that you know, there was the Old Testament, and that's God, and there was 400 years of silence, and there's the New Testament, and that's Jesus. It, it's almost been kind of taught to me like, well, God was figuring it out in the Old Testament, and then he finally figured it out in the New Testament. No. No, no, no. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament prophecies foretold of the Messiah. It, it foretold that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be uh, born of a woman, that he would be from the line of Abraham and a descendant of Isaac and a descendant of Jacob, and he would be from the tribe of Judah, that he'd be an heir from David's throne, that his throne would be anointed, and it would be eternal, it would be permanent, that he'd be called Emmanuel, that he would come out of Egypt, that there'd be a massacre of children in his birthplace, that a messenger would prepare the way for him, that he'd be rejected by his own people, that he'd be a prophet, that he'd be preceded by Elijah, and he would be declared the Son of God. He'd be called a Nazarene, he would bring light into the darkness of Galilee, that he would speak in parables that he would be sent to heal the brokenhearted, that he would be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, that he'd be called king, that he'd be praised by little children, that he'd be betrayed, that the price on his head would be used to buy a potter's field, that he would be falsely accused, that he would stand silent in front of his accusers, that he'd be spit on and that he'd be struck, and that he'd be hated without any reason that he'd be crucified with criminals, that he'd be given vinegar to drink, that his hands and his feet would be pierced, that he'd be mocked and ridiculed, that soldiers would gamble for his clothing, 
that his bones wouldn't be broken. He'd be forsaken by God, that he'd pray for his enemies, and that soldiers would pierce his side, that he'd be buried with the rich, that he'd be resurrected from the dead, that he would ascend into heaven to the right hand of God, and that he would be a sacrifice for all of our sins. Forty. Forty-four prophecies that pointed to Jesus. If you want to know more about Jesus, read the Old Testament. Don't take my word for it. Jesus glorified God in everything that he did. John 17, 1. It says that Jesus spoke these things. Then he looked up into heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Now glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. I don't know if you've ever got that before, but what I get from that is if we stand a chance of giving glory to God, we have to glorify Jesus. We have to glorify him first. John 5, 19, I assure you the Son of Man is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. See, Jesus gave God credit. Jesus gave God credit. And as a matter of fact, I, I think you, I'd be hard-pressed, and I think you would too, to find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus took credit for himself. Jesus always gave God the credit, always gave glory to the Father. So many examples. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own, but, my fa- but what my Father taught me. John 10, 32, I have shown you many good works, many miracles from who? From the Father. John 15, 15, I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. I've given it to you. That was at the end of his ministry when he was telling and giving the marching orders to the disciples that he had developed over three and a half years. And so if you want to learn about the glory of God, read the book of John. Read the gospel according to John. It's all about giving glory to God. Read that for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, please. Jesus never took credit for anything that he did. He always acknowledged God. He acknowledged his Father as a source of his power. And he never missed the opportunity to exalt the Father. And what does exalt mean? It means to lift up. And it means to elevate. And it means to worship. And that's not just in song, but in everything that we do. Worship is just not music. That's just a part of it. Worship is what we do on a daily basis to exalt the Father and lift Him up. So it's in everything that we do. And this, this was really it's one of Jesus' unique qualities because everything that He did, if you study His life, everything that He did, the purpose was to exalt the Father. That was the result, is that God was, was glorified. I believe He modeled that for His apostles so that we would know what that looks like and we could do that. You know, Jesus was the Messiah. There's no doubt about that. He was the deliverer of the Jews. But rather than come as a conquering king, he took the form of a man and he came as a servant. And so there, he, he had, you know, it was a cost. You know, I, I love what Isaiah says about Jesus. It foretold of Jesus. It gives us kind of the character, the qualities of Jesus. And it's not what you might expect. Isaiah 53, 2 through 3. 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is in appearance that would, that would make us desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, a man familiar with pain, like one from whom hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. We kind of have this, this, this vision of Jesus that I think is a little inaccurate. Jesus was a man. Jesus was common. He wasn't Brad Pitt in the long hair phase. Could Jesus have chosen? Could Jesus have chosen to be a conqueror of the Jews? Do you think he could have? I think so. I think Jesus, I mean, he was God, right? His deity is undeniable. He could have done that. Would his life have been easier on this earth had he chose to do that? I think absolutely. But Jesus didn't have any intention of doing anything except the will of the Father. In, in Philippians 2, 5, 8, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, I think Jesus had a choice. And, you know, I think he could have leveraged his deity to make his obedience easier. But I think the Bible tells us that he didn't do that. I believe that he glorified the Father instead of glorifying, him, glorifying himself, not because he had to, but because he chose to. I, I think we shouldn't attempt to glorify God in everything we do out of obligation. I think what I, when I read this, we should do it because we want to. We should do it because we want to give glory to God. So how do we glorify God? Well, I think we do it by doing what Jesus did. First, we have to trust him. We have to exalt him. We've got to lift him up. We've got to acknowledge him as the author of all good things. Every good thing that happens to us, everything. Jesus is the author. We've got to admit that and glorify him and thank him for that. Jesus didn't stop. Here's my opinion. Jesus didn't stop at glorifying God with just lip service. Okay? He, he did, it just wasn't something that just came out of his mouth and he walked on. You know, he, he did more. The Gospel of John gives, gives us insight into how Jesus glorified God, especially in his humanity. 17.4 in these verses we call the high priestly prayer. It says, I have glorified you on earth by how? By completing the works that you gave me to do. By completing the works that you gave me to do. So what did Jesus accomplish on earth in his humanity? And I'll try to summarize it as best I can. But Jesus preached uh, through a ministry for three and a half years. And he gave four challenges to, to his disciples, the, the, the men and women that would follow him. He, first he said, come and see. Pretty simple challenge. And then he, he ramped it up a little bit and he said, now follow me. That required action, right? And then later on in his ministry, about two and a half years into his ministry, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, that's a little bit more challenging. And then at the end of his ministry, he said, Now go and bear what? Bear much fruit. And that's when we become the friend of Jesus, when there's fruit in our lives. And so he spent a lot of time with his disciples. You know, we really hang on 
on the, ma- the time that he spent with the masses and these, gr- these wonderful sermons that he preached, but he spent more time pouring in to this handful of people that would follow him. And he trained them and he prepared them for ministry. And then he took them out on missionary trips and he let them learn how to do this by hands-on experience. And so he was building these guys up all the way and then he commissioned 12 of them in, into leadership of the church, the church that's going to come. And so he, he, that was leadership appointment, not leadership training. And, and I believe the way, really, I mean, and Jesus died a substitutional death for us at the end of his ministry. And more importantly, he rose from the grave to, to, to show us that we, when we follow him, when we obey him, that we can be with the Father and that we can have an eternal life. And I believe the way he glorified God the most was he created this, this movement of multiplying disciples. Because these, these 12 guys that he appointed in the leadership position, those were the fathers of the church that we're a part of today. Billions of people. And so I think that's how he glorified God the most, was that he created this church that we know today. You know, the four chairs, you know, I just, I just told you that represented the vision of our church, but it also represents that 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 uh, process that Jesus took these, these disciples through. They were all lost until they found him. They all fell in love with Jesus. And then they had to love people, right? Because they ministered to people. And then they became disciple makers and friends of Jesus. And so that's what, that's what this four chairs represents as well, is the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So the chairs don't make it powerful. It's Jesus that makes that a powerful description. Time after time, Jesus said, follow the pattern that I've given you. Do the things that I've done. In, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, the one who says that he remains in, in him must, must what? Walk as Jesus walked. And so in Luke 6.40, it says, the disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. I love that because I think there's one distinction that God had in his humanity, that Jesus had in his humanity. He was like us in every way, but he was sinless. And what I, what I think he's acknowledging to us here is that we, we can't be sinless on this side of eternity. We can sin less as we develop, but that, that's the difference we have in Jesus and his humanity. We, we can't be sinless, but Jesus lived the life exemplifying what God intends us to be. I believe that uh, with all my heart. Don't take my word for it. Jesus wants us to do the things that he did. In John 14, 12, it says, I assure you that the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now think about that. We read about what Jesus did and the crazy things, but Jesus said we doesn't say we might, doesn't say we can, it says we will. We will do the things that, that he did. And, and if you think it's even crazier than that, the way he finishes that up is he says, and he will do even greater works than these. Does that not blow your mind? Again, those aren't my words, that's Jesus telling his disciples and, and telling us. Now, how can that be? Well, Jesus spent three and a half years in his ministry, but we, if we're lucky, we've got 40, 50 plus years. So if we have faith in him, if we glorify him, if we follow him, are we going to do great things? I, I think Jesus is telling us that we will. 
I, I think, though, and unfortunately, I think we've kind of convinced ourselves in this culture otherwise. We've convinced ourselves that that's just not possible. You know, we have this thing. We say, you know, Jesus did what he did because he's God. I'm not God. I can't do it. But I think Jesus gave us a job to do. I think he gave us a job to do. And he gave us resources in, in order to do it. The same resources that he leveraged and used in his ministry. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have scripture. Jesus knew him some scripture, right? I mean, he quoted from the Old Testament 90 times from 70 different references. I mean, he knew it stone cold. And so we have the same thing. We have scripture available to us. We also have the power of prayer. You know, Jesus was connected with the Father through prayer. Sometimes he prayed all night. He went away and prayed alone. He did pray with the masses, but he had a prayer life, right? An active prayer life. I think there's plenty of evidence in the Bible that Jesus didn't always know what his next move was, but after a night of prayer, it was clear to him. We have the same resource. We have prayer. When I look at the life of Christ, it's becoming a whole lot more clear to me that he didn't glorify God just with his mouth, that Jesus was obedient and he followed God's will, his perfect will, in completing what God gave him to do. And folks, I think he commissions us to do the same thing. I think that he does. When I read this, I, I think that's true. When we re realign our lives and we begin the process of glorifying God, then, then our end result is going to be glory. But we have to glorify God in everything that we do to get there. Jesus' life is our perfect example of how we can glorify, glorify God. You know, I've gotten really passionate about learning about the person of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, in the last couple of years, that's, been, that's occupied most of my thoughts. And I mean, I have learned about the message of Jesus. You know, he, the, the, the words that he said, the sermons that he preached, and they're powerful, and they're awesome. I've been taught about his miracles my whole life. But I've never been really encouraged to study the person of Jesus, this, this, this ministry that occurred for three and a half years, you know, to learn about that. I'm telling you, if, you, if you'll do that, I think it'll be a game changer for you. And so there's going to be an opportunity for you to do that that's going to start in February. I'm going to be starting a class. It's called the Live 2-6 Community based on that 1 John 2-6 verse. Those that who claim to abide in Him must walk as Jesus walked. It's going to be one night a month, probably for three hours. So it's going to, it's going to go on for a while, but just one night a month. And be listening for that because I'll put out a date I really encourage you, if you want to know more about the, the person, the life of Jesus Christ, I want to walk with you through that for probably the next year. So just let me know. If you're interested, stop me up here today. And so in wrapping up, I just want to share this, this prayer that I had for you when I was preparing this today. I pray that God spoke to you today in a mighty way. I pray that through, through some interaction, God has placed a conviction on your heart that you're ready to resolve for this coming year to be, to be the servant, to be uh, someone who lives the life that God intends us to live. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. God, you're the only one who deserves glory. Nothing else in this world can compare. We accept you as the God that always was, the God that always will be. And 
Lord, I pray that you have convicted each soul in this, this building today. I pray that you've convicted them, that, Lord, you're worth it. You're worth changing the way we think, changing the way we live. God, we love you, glorify you for just who you are. That's, that's, all, that's all that matters. And it's in Christ's holy name that we offer our prayers. Amen.